Hello and welcome back to the State of Play podcast. I'm your host, Petrit Barisha. I almost just said I'm your host, Matt Santangelo, which would have been really weird. But Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, you know, I wish there was... Uh, I'm getting at those withdrawals of domestic football, club football. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, especially when you're a Milan fan, you had the victory that they did over Roma, Cutrone, last minute winner. And then you got to wait 16, 17 days to watch them play again. It's kind of frustrating, but we move on and we try to take the most we can from international football, although we know it can be uh, kind of difficult. I mean, I think the UEFA Nations League is something to be excited about. It's meaningful game. It's it's meaningful international games right off the right off the jump. But yeah, I'm doing well otherwise. Good stuff, man. Yeah, I almost started watching tennis the other day because I was getting such like sport withdrawal symptoms, which uh, doesn't bode well. I need domestic football to come back ASAP. That, that's all I've got to say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And at this point, the good news is now is that, you know, with the uh, American football, you know, NFL football coming back, uh, which, again, we know we touched upon with, you know, the uh, the LA Rams and, uh, you know, some of the other uh, NFL teams in comparison with, uh, you know, soccer and, and European football, we talked about in previous episodes, which, again, if you haven't checked those out, make sure you do. I have some t- I, have, I have enough sports to kind of plug in these gaps until we get, uh, you know, club football back next weekend. So uh, overall, I'm hanging in there. <laughs> good stuff. Stuff, man. You, you're certainly coping better than than I. I think I'm waiting for waiting for the <laughs> NBA season to start in October again. Yeah, NBA. We got we got uh, hockey coming up. So there's there's and baseball playoffs. So I mean, those are things that I kind of focus on myself as an American sports fan. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I've I'm, I'm I'm plugging in the gaps and I'm uh, filling my time uh, accordingly. Maybe I just need another hobby. But um, we've got lots yeah, to speak maybe. about. <laughs> Episode four already. Like, like yeah, it seems like yesterday that we just started. But I guess we'll start with unfortunately international football but actually you know there's interesting stuff that's happened some funny stuff as well i think brazil played usa and uh, you being an american why don't you start covering this one yeah so uh brazil versus usa took place at metlife stadium uh, despite the fact that i know it's it's kind of been broadcasted and kind of uh promoted as it's in new york it's in new jersey that's where i'm from and i'm seeing all these uh you know it's in new york they're playing in new york it's a big apple uh, you know brazil usa and the big apple it's not the case it's new jersey but again it kind of suits the uh the, the metro area new york new jersey metro area so i can i understand why they're marketed that way but yeah any case uh, brazil usa was um it was an interesting game, I think, without question. You know, Brazil were the stronger side. They fielded a very strong side. Uh, Douglas Costa looked uh, sparkling down that right wing, like he, like he has been for the past eight months or so with Juventus and even Brazil um, in, in uh, the World Cup. Neymar was no Neymar was pretty effective as well. I think again overall, it, you know, when you look at it, you, the U.S. men's national team was was overmatched. Uh, we saw some good things from the the U.S. men's national team. Of course, they don't really don't have their coaching situation solved at the moment. So I think again, you have to take these types of games with a grain of salt. Playing a powerhouse um, with again Pulisic wasn't available, so you really don't have the full uh, roster to kind of go by. But as I mentioned in previous episodes, there's a lot of young talent to be happy about and excited about if you're a U.S. soccer fan. So I think, again, that's really what most, I think most U.S. fans were taking from this game is to see how some of these younger prospects uh, fared against a really good team. Matt Miazga was my notable standout in this game, a central defender owned by Chelsea, spent the past couple years on loan at Vitesse, and now I think he's in um, in Liga 1 with Nantes, uh, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, so I apologize, but he, he looked pretty good for the U.S. men's national team, he's a young defender, I think he's one of the guys that's going to be the pillar for the, the defense moving forward, he looked pretty strong, and he's a guy that I, I feel... He could possibly get an opportunity down the line uh, soon with with Chelsea if he does perform well in France, because I think what we what we have seen, you know, in some of his games in the build up to the you know the World Cup qualifying, of course, U.S. didn't make it, but he looked pretty good in the certain short spells that he did get. So I think there were some positives to take away, although USA did lose. Uh, I believe it was 2-0 to Neymar. Uh, not to, to Neymar. Neymar. Uh, to Brazil. <laughs> uh, yeah, 2-0 to Neymar specifically. It was just 1-on-11. Um, but no, you know, 2-0 loss obviously wasn't great for the U.S. men's national team. But I think there were some positive takeaways, again, aside from the fact that there's the U.S. Soccer Federation is in kind of a disarray, this really really dysfunctional at this point. I think there's a lot of things that are wrong with the way that things are going there. But if you want to separate the two, you know, the things going off the field and on, 
there are some players to be excited about. Timothy Weah, Weston McKinney are just among the, the the few. Of course, Christian Pulisic, who's been a he's been a known name for a couple of years now at Borussia Dortmund, playing in the Champions League and you know getting that notoriety and that attention from Premier League teams. So he's kind of a, a known commodity at this point. So again, with this game and with these really games over this break, you really look to see which young players get opportunity, which players are you know fundamental pieces for the future and I think that was ultimately my biggest look when I was going into, when I was looking at this game on on TV that was really what I was looking to take away the most was how some of these younger guys fared what does our future look like for US soccer and I think there's some really really good pieces moving forward and it just really just depends on again who that coach becomes which is fascinating because I saw a, a, a picture circulate on uh, on Twitter yesterday late last night uh, in the build-up to the game it looked like David Moyes uh, was on like a like a local transportation bus to uh, the Meadowlands MetLife Stadium. Of course, I thought that was kind of funny. He's been actually linked to the U.S. <laughs> oh, soccer God, job, uh, the head coach job, which is certainly fascinating. I don't think he's the the guy to do it, but again, he's a known name. Uh, obviously, Everton, Manchester United. So he has the uh, he's he's known, but I think it, time will tell to see if one. He does fill that seat. And two, he's actually able to do a, a good job with this team should he get the role. Yeah, I, I think I nearly said Mourinho. Uh, <laughs> Moyes would be an interesting one. But perhaps the USA want someone younger with, with maybe fresher ideas. But I suppose you mentioned Winston McKenney there and Timothy Weyer, uh, Christian Pulisic, obviously. It, it's important that these guys are all getting regular game time, right? If you look at PSG's front three, obviously they're nearly untouchable. But behind them, you've got like Angel Di Maria, uh, Crispin Kunku, and then Timothy Ware, those are like the three guys behind those front three, I guess. And then you've got Julian Draxler as well, who's kind of out of favor at the moment. But these guys, especially Winston McKenney and Pulisic, are getting game time, which is good. On, on the Brazil side, I just saw the goal from Firmino, which was Douglas Costa absolutely terrorizing the left back. Going down the right wing, crossing it with his weaker foot. Firmino there to tap it in, and you thought to yourself, why on earth did these guys not start every single game at the World Cup, especially Firmino? I know Douglas Costa was injured at points, but Matt, are we going to see Douglas Costa start for Juve at any time? Like, he's so good. He's just so good. Douglas Costa, you know, so let's let's take it back to two summers ago. Of course, we've, we've bypassed the latest transfer window. Of course, the one before... Juventus got him on loan from Bayern Munich. Uh, there was a, a couple million euro loan with an option to buy a big one. I think it was forty-five million. There were mixed views, mixed opinions of this move for Juventus. Some were saying, obviously, very quick, very talented, very skilled on the ball, but forty-five million seems like a steep price, especially for Juventus, who, again, they did have options in this in this wing, winger uh, winger position. As we saw the season go on for Juve, and specifically in the Champions League. Once Costa got opportunity from Max, uh, Massimiliano Allegri, we saw what type of quality, what type of talent Douglas Costa is, and what, what type of game breaker he really is. And I think that's really a good word, to, good way to put it. He's, he's a guy that you get just feed him the ball. He's very direct. He can make play, he can make defenders miss easily, and he's a. He was one of the top assist men in the league, and really he didn't start much of anything in the first half of the season. Once the second half started, he started getting a lot more attention, a lot more minutes, and he showed his quality. We saw at the World Cup, same thing. He, again, after some whatever case is, that he didn't really play or start from the jump in every game or get you know, the full workload that I think most people thought he deserved. But what we're seeing right now in, in this season early on for Juve, um, aside from all the attention that Cristiano Ronaldo's getting, is Douglas Costa is a world-class winger. He's a guy that I think is fundamental to what Juve's were looking to accomplish this year, and that is a treble. They're not really kind of selling, they're not trying to you know just go for the Serie A title again or, or a domestic double. They're going for the treble, and you can look at Douglas Costa as being a key part in, in, in reaching for that goal. What I saw yesterday, I mean, again, you just touched on it, an inch-perfect, precise ball from the wing after beating his marker it's just again it speaks volumes as to what he brings to an attack and again it's i think it's some people would say well it's easy to look good in you know a team like brazil because there's so much talent around him i understand that but you if you just look at the take a step take a step back from just the numbers which i think he has a good goal assist outputs um over the past couple of years when he has played 
he's a guy that he passes the eye test too. And I think there's a lot of people that tend to for overlook that. They look at the numbers and it's easy to look at the metrics and stuff. But what does the guy look like on the ball? Does he look confident? Does he look like he can, you know, unlock a game right when he jumps on the pitch? He's that type of player. And that pass and that delivery to Firmino, who, again, had a great, great finish himself. I'm not taking anything away from him. But, you know, if speaking from a Serie A fan's perspective, I'm going to touch on Costa here and give him a ton of credit because he looked, once again, scintillating for Brazil yesterday. He is such a good player. And he's going to be 28 soon, I think. Uh, in se- it's... He's, he's Yeah, he's about to enter his prime. And I think Juventus are going to reap the benefits exactly. of that. Exactly. And I just, I mean, there's a lot of talk about why him and Dybala aren't starting for Juventus at the moment. But, you know, the cream always rises to the top, right? These guys are going to start sooner or later. I think uh, Douglas Costa was injured at the beginning of the season. Obviously, um, I'm not really sure what happened with Dybala. I think he was also lacking fitness at the beginning of the season for one reason. Dybala was lacking fitness. And I I think you... um, Allegri has been going with uh, Bernadeschi on that right wing. A guy that I think has kind of grown and matured since making that move to Juventus last year from Fiorentina, which which is controversial given the fact that you know those two those two sides don't have exactly a a, a rosy past and a relationship, if you will. But uh, I think that's kind of one of the reasons why maybe Costa hasn't gotten the uh, the full workload. But again, as you just mentioned, I think the cream rises to the top as we throw in those domestic competitions, as we throw in the Champions League. I think you're going to start to see a guy like Costa break into the first team and really be Allegri's uh, primary right winger. Yeah, I, I think uh, Douglas Costa is just too good not to start. And if he doesn't start for an extended period of time, we're talking months here, then he's going to probably reevaluate his options either in January or in summer because Allegri's got a hard job juggling all these talents. I mean, Mandzukic was linked with Manchester United. Presumably he told him that he's a starter you're my man on the left or up front you're going to be playing no matter whether or not Ronaldo comes in or doesn't and now he's kind of in that sticky situation where he has to balance all these players out but I mean something funny happened in the game I think Neymar got fouled and um, Yedlin went over to the ref and said to him did you watch the World Cup did you watch the World Cup? He's diving. And uh, that went kind of viral, which was really funny. And Neymar actually got asked about it by reporters afterwards. And they asked him, hey, what, what did you think about what Yedlin said uh, during the game? And he just said, oh, you know what? I kind of feel bad for him. I feel sorry for him because, uh, frankly, he's a player I just simply don't know, which was absolutely savage from Neymar. Um, but uh, especially... Yeah, it, was like a it, mic tra- it was like a mic drop moment. Like one of those, it was... Uh, you know, I'm surprised no one made a, a, a video edit of him like throwing on like the glasses in the shades and like, having like, you know, gun pop off noises in the back because that is pretty savage. I, I agree with him. I think Neymar, again, we always talk about, you know, Neymar's antics and his theatrics when he gets fouled or he gets, uh, you know, grazed and he kind of embellishes it. But obviously a superstar player, he just, again, it's always going to happen. Every time he goes down, there's always going to be made jokes. And uh, yeah, the you know, the memes and the gifts and the videos from that, you know, that, that, for, uh, that 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 never-ending tumble and tumble he made. Uh, I don't think there's ever, those are leaving anytime soon. I suppose it got a bit more press attention than it would usually do because Yedlin was actually the poster boy for USA men's national team this uh, this game, wasn't he? Yeah, that was weird too. I was I was <laughs> scrolling through like my Instagram and like, Twitter feeds, and it would seem like every time you know how they kind of just make their way into like your stories when you're looking at someone's story, or whatever. And I saw that like kind of like the. Uh, the marketing banner, the marketing like poster, if you will, had Neymar and then Yedlin. I'm like, that's the matchup. That's the guy we're <laughs> selling as U.S. soccer. I mean, I understand that Christian Pulisic hasn't. He's he's not you know making this uh, international uh, trip for the U.S. men's national team, and I understand that. So maybe they probably would obviously would have chosen him, but there's got to be somebody else aside from a uh, you know like kind of a journeyman guy back and forth, uh, you know, def- right back wide man who really is again like Neymar said in, you know, in the broader scope and in, 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 in a wider lens in you know, football is really not that known yeah it was uh it was a strange one I mean he did score his first goal for Newcastle the other week though so against City yeah you know, that probably that that's my that might be the reason they, they called him up they were like hey you, you're suddenly a goal scoring superstar um let's get you <laughs> on the, the the front page the front cover of this uh this this big game that we're trying to commercialize and publicize as, as, as much as we can and the attendance i just want to point out that even the attendance wasn't i think the attendance was like 20 20 something thousand again for a stadium that fits it's a football it's american football stadium that they have concerts they have 
a ton of events. It, from what I've seen, I knew a few people that went to the game and I saw like videos on social media. It wasn't packed. And I, I, again, I think that's telling for the fact that I think tickets are expensive for certain games in this country. I think I touched upon this with the International Champions Cup, I think in the last episode, where we talked about um, the La Liga coming to the U.S. Tickets are very expensive. And I think that also played into it. But I think there's also um, this feeling that, you know, maybe if it was Brazil... Um, Chile or Brazil, another South American team, then I think maybe it would have got more traction. Brazil, Mexico. But for whatever reason, I think most people are right now in this country are more focused on, um, you know, uh, the American football coming up, baseball. And at this time during the international break, which is really in the grand scheme of things, it's not a, a meaningful game. It's a friendly. Uh, maybe that's part of the reason why there were so little people in attendance. And of course, I saw the waves and all that stuff, but there are a lot of empty seats. And I think that's. Uh, it's not really uh, surprising to me. It's worrying, isn't it? Because if you want to grow a sport, if you want to make it more accessible, you've got to make it cheaper. You've got especially, to make it cheaper. Especially when you have a lot of these younger guys coming up, you'd, uh, you'd think that a lot of fans would want to see who the next crop of stars for this national team, or really a crop of heroes <laughs> to save this national team moving forward because when you don't qualify for the World Cup, people want to see, well, what's next? What's in, what's in store for this uh, federation? And, uh, you know, yeah, but look, I guess, again, Pulisic wasn't there. I think that's kind of fortunate. I think that maybe would have helped get people in the stands. But in any case, to have uh, such a slim uh, attendance for a game when you have Neymar on the field, you have Douglas Costa, uh, Roberto Firmino, you'd think that there'd be a bit more of a turn-up uh, for this game, but that wasn't the case. To only get 20-odd thousand fans when Neymar's in town is 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 really worrying. It really is worrying, but I guess that 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 leads us to our next kind of topic of conversation. That's just the state of international football in general. And I think you being a, a Polish-Italian uh, as well as an American, you had your eye on both Italy and Poland. So, so Matt, what did you what did you see from them? Well, first off, you know, um, Italy, the, the Italy under twenty uh, team versus Poland under twenty team featured some known names. Moise Kane actually had a brace in that game as one. He continues to uh, impress at the in, in the lower tiers of Italian uh, international football. So I think I just want to give a, give a little bit of a shout out there because we did feature him in one of our player profiles earlier. I think that was our second episode, if I'm correct, or our first. I'm not sure. I think it was our first, actually, because I think we did Kepa the second episode. But um, yeah, so Moise Kane looks like a pretty good pro- player. And again, I think he's staying at Juventus. I think most people would have loved to love to see him go out on loan and get first minute, uh, first you know, first team minutes somewhere. But maybe that's something that happens in January. But yeah, moving on to the uh, the senior teams of, of Italy and Poland, Italy looked uh, <laughs> they they did not look good at all under Roberto Mancini. <laughs> this is really uh, the first big test. Again, they did the Italy did play France, they did play Netherlands, and their first game I think under Mancini was against Saudi Arabia. Um, one win, one loss, one draw. Of course, a loss came against France. But this is the first big test. Again, you have the UEFA Nations League, so it's a competition play. There's something more at stake here. But I think when I was looking at this Italy team or this call-up list, I was, for the most part, pretty pleased. I don't think he left off, uh, Mancini left off any big uh, names. Uh, Balotelli was a Ciro Mobile, Andrea Bellotti, Insigne, Bernardeschi. A lot of the names were the Chiesa. Um, who looked fantastic yesterday coming off the bench for Italy and really brought an element uh, to their attack that they were sorely lacking. A more direct winger, a guy who's quick, pacey, can um, you know influence and make things happen. He, of course, he uh, drew the penalty for Italy. Of course, Jorginho, calm and cool, just buried it with like <laughs> he gave a little bit of a, a glance that up at Fabianski to kind of get him leaning, and then he kind of buried it with ease. So uh, shout out to Jorginho, my boy, for getting the... Uh, <laughs> His first international goal for Italy. Moving on to Poland. He's got a really strange, really strange technique, doesn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's got like this like weird like step up, stutter step, but like he tries to like plays like, these little mind games. He looks at the goalkeeper, tries to kind of move him and then go the other way and, and all that stuff. I guess it works. He looks very comfortable doing it. So well, don't fix what's not broken. But I just want to also, you know, kind of touch upon real quick before I go to Poland. Italy's midfield looked bad. Even Jorginho did not look, in terms of what we're used to seeing him with his years at Napoli and early on at Chelsea, he did not look, he looked uncharacteristically uh, out of it and, and off off his game, which again, maybe you can contribute some of that to the fact that Gagliardini and Lorenzo Pellegrini really just 
looked invisible, played very casual, didn't do much to stretch the game and, and really kind of bring the game and, and, and push into that uh, push possession, push the ball into the, the final third, which again, which was Italy was lacking yesterday. It looked like as though Balotelli was out on an island. He was a guy that didn't have much service. I think he maybe had 11 touches in the first half and he was, looked disappointing himself. So for Italy, uh, they, they have a lot of work to do and they have, a, they have to recover quickly because they do have Portugal next um, in their group for the UEFA Nations League. But for Poland, new coach, a little bit of a shakeup in the back. Of course, they did have Wojciech Szczesny. Um, they had Fabianski in goal, who's now at West Ham, a long time uh, Swansea City goalkeeper. Very steady. He looked really well yesterday, actually. Um, Jan Benarek at Southampton. He started as one of those two central defenders alongside Kamil Glick. And then, you know, the biggest focus, obviously, was on uh, Lewandowski and ha- and Zielinski and how they would coexist in a little bit of a different setup. Of course, Lewandowski, striker, he's playing up front, the lone man. But Zielinski was playing right in behind him as an attacking midfielder, and he looked very good. And Jorginho also lamented that in his post-match conference uh, to Rai, uh, Rai Italia, uh, that he, Jorginho's like, how much more could I have done? I was getting blanketed. I was getting man-marked the whole game by Zielinski. So when it got a guy like Zielinski kind of taking, he's taking his uh, former teammate out of the game like he did, not to mention, you know, when once they're get once he's get once they're counterattacking, he looked, he was beating two or three guys, blowing right by them into the midfield and making things happen. Of course, he was the uh, goal scorer for Poland. Great little combination play between him, and he actually had another chance denied in the first half by Donnarumma. So Zielinski was definitely the standout player yesterday for Poland. And once P- Zielinski was taken off for Poland, I think that's really kind of, kind of where Italy were able to make things happen. Zielinski, again, he was taking Jorginho out of the game. But I think once Mancini made his moves factored in with the, you know Zielinski being yanked off around the 65th, 70th minute... That's what opened up the game for Italy to get back in it, create a little bit more going forward. And sure enough, they were able to get a, um, a, a, a an equalizer, uh, of course, again, through Jorginho. So overall, Poland looked pretty good in their first game under the new coach. But Italy have some work to do. And again, it really kind of brought up a lot of concerns yesterday that many have with uh, the Italian national team is there's some talented players, but... There's a lot of players that you wonder, are they really national team quality? And then again, until we see good performances, until we see a really good collective effort, I think those those questions and those concerns are going to continue to come up. Is the TLDR there just stop picking Simone Zaza? Yeah, I, for some reason. I don't know why this <laughs> this guy gets his call-ups. Um, you know, aside from the fact that he had a good month, Last year, a month, two months last year with Valencia, where I think he had like eight, nine goals in nine games. He's a guy that's bounced around from Sassuolo to uh, West Ham, Valencia. Now he's at Torino, and of course he's not starting. Andrea Velotti is the starting striker there. For me, I think it's obvious that Patrick Cutrone would have been the the, the sensible call-up. Of course, he's already made his uh, senior team uh, debut. I think Mancini, I think, was asked about that, you know, before this game, even when the call-ups came out, as to why he didn't choose you know, certain players. I mean, you could even look at a guy like Moise Kane, right? If he's playing and he's scoring goals um, at the under-20 Euro that we talked about, um, and, and he's scoring goals again, which seems like every game he plays, why isn't he also getting looks as well? And I think he, Mancini was was pointing out was that he didn't want to leave his um, that unit or that team in a hole. Um, in terms of options to choose from. So I kind of understand in that regard. But also, again, you also have to look at and saying, some of these guys are not national team quality. And you wonder, again, every national team seems to have this. Obviously, we know there's a difference between cl- uh, club football, international football, and in terms of how you know the system is and how the setup is and how players fit in. We, I mean, you, how many times have we seen England you know, bring up Danny Welbeck and you're, everyone's looking, Danny <laughs> Welbeck, why are they bringing him up? He doesn't do anything. He's not doing anything to earn this call-up. But for whatever reason, he plays for England and maybe he does good. Or Again, it's, it's really tough to say. We saw that even with Brazil where they kept bringing up Fred for a while. Or not Fred, I'm oh, sorry, yeah. the, the, the striker. I'm, I'm, I'm losing the name here. They always uh, kept bringing. Was, maybe it was Fred. Fred. I know there's feel like there's it was Fred. Fred's they had a striker but... Fred. Remember? <laughs> um, you get what I'm at point. So players fit in differently, and maybe that's why again Zaza is getting the call up, but he's not a guy that I specifically like. Again, I, I think Italy needs someone who can create chances. They need guys who can create chances, make things happen. Insigne 
doesn't look like he's doing that right now. Bernadeschi was underwhelming himself. Chiesa really looks like the, the, the lone dual player that Italy have. Again, there's some quality players. Immobile is a good striker. Belotti is a good striker. But you need someone to make those things happen. You don't. You need not one, but not two, but probably three guys who can really create. And I think that's what Italy's lacking at this moment in time is real playmakers. And until they find that long-term solution, I hope it's Insigne. I hope he can grow into that. But from what I've seen, it doesn't look like he's going to be that guy. So again, I think Italy is going to continue to have some struggles up front and, and uh, producing goals. And I, we, we, we've heard Mancini talk about how he wants to play a more direct game, more attacking, create more chances and things like that. But you also have to have the personnel to do that. And that's what alarms me when I look at this roster up and down is where is that creative presence coming from? And uh, it's that's what's kind of concerning me the most. And I think most Azuri fans at this point in time. I mean, when you're calling up Simone Zaza, when you have Bellotti, Immobile and Balotelli, I mean, those are three very solid options. It's, you know, calling up Simone Zaza is a weird one. But uh, Wales beat Ireland in a, in a bit of a rival game. Uh, I think Ireland have, have usually done quite well against Wales, but uh, Wales came out 3-0 winners here. Uh, Ramsey and Bale, the, you know, two stars scoring. But uh, there was a rising star, Ethan Ampadu, who isn't today's player profile, but we're still going to talk about him a little bit. 17 years old, Matt, and started for Wales and... Did you see his? Uh, did you see his assist for Ramsey? It was really good. Like tackled someone uh, basically in his own half, ran through the middle of the pitch, and then just played like a, a really, really nice ball in between centre back and full back to Ramsey, and he, he finished it off. But guy's seventeen, and he he looks like he's been playing for ten years it's, uh, at a top level, which is ridiculous. Yeah, uh, you know, from what I saw, I saw the highlights again. I, I'm not gonna say I watched the entire game or at least caught much of it. But from what I did see from him, um, and what I've gained, what I've seen from you know, you know, Premier League fans on on Twitter, is they they held it, they held a, uh, excuse me, they they put this kid in high regard and they really do value him and I think they do think he's going to be one of those can't miss players. Again, with youngsters, it's really tough to say who's going to be a slam dunk move. How often do we see some of these kids, you know, star in a couple games and then they kind of fall off the face of the earth and they kind of wander around and they never really fulfill that potential. I don't think many people have that doubt with uh, Ampadu. From what I've seen, again, you get, obviously he starred yesterday as a 17-year-old. He did extremely well um, in international football, so that's obviously going to be great for him. He gets get that exposure. He's going to get those minutes, and he's only going to be able to grow on the international stage, which, again, bodes well for him. But, you know, domestically in club football, you know, that's he's, he's a gem. From what I've read, from what I've seen, he's a guy who's very talented, and I think a player... The Welsh, uh, Welsh fans should be very happy about, for uh, at least for the international game, of course. They're going to continue to root him on uh, wherever he goes for uh, at the club level. But yeah, these are the, it's interesting with these youngsters that you see in international football. And then I was touching about, touching on it with the, the U.S. men's national team, is that if you can play, you can play. And I think that's the biggest thing with, that I love about football, is that it's, yeah, okay, fine, you know, the 24-year-old, 25-year-old who's uh, getting paid a ton of money and who made a big move. But he's going to get the most of the attention or he's going to get all the minutes, yada, yada, yada. But it's these young kids who are able to kind of break in and really make a name of, name for themselves and really not be phased or moved by the the, uh, the environment that they're placed in. And I think that's that's it's it's easy for us to, to say who's going to be able to uh, be a can't-miss player, a top talent moving forward down the line. But you really have to look at many different things aside from what you see on the field is how do these younger players grow from a big performance? Does it get to their head? Do they get content? Do they, um, after a bad game, can they rebound? You look at the mental aspect that uh, of football. And I think when you see some of these players like this, again, Ampadu looks like one of those players who, when he when takes to the pitch, confidence, poise, is able to really just kind of treat it like any other game. But we all know when you throw on that national team shirt, regardless of what national team it is, it's a very heavy shirt because you're representing your country. And for him to be able to do what he did yesterday, it's uh, it's very encouraging. And uh, again, Welsh fans should be very pleased and very uh, uh, excited for what's to come for him. Uh, and why don't you tell us a bit about Maurizio Sarri's history with developing young players? Because I'm sure a lot of Chelsea fans out there listening would love to know like just how... It, 
Ampadu is probably going to fit into his, with with his plans, and obviously we we don't know. We don't know the insides uh, and outs of uh, Maurizio Sarri's mind. But what was he like at Napoli that might give some encouragement to Chelsea fans? Yeah, so Maurizio Sarri is a guy who has has a track record, a proven track record of being able to develop players. Of course, you're touching, you're asking me mostly on younger players and how he's able to do that. But he's also been able to develop players who are maybe 22, 23. And maybe they're quality players with potential and really make them into world-class players. I think he obviously did that with several at Napoli. Uh, Jorginho was one of them. I think he was 22-23. And then, of course, we all know he had that talent. But Maurizio Tsari was able to make him a fundamental piece and really the kind of that, that, that key element in the midfield. And now, of course, obviously he's starring for Chelsea. He made the big move. Kaladu Koulibaly is another one, central defender that Chelsea really won. He just signed a new contract with a big release clause. So those are just two of the big names. Again, Dries Mertens as well. You can, you can, there's, a, there's a ton. Uh, Daniele Rugani, that one year that uh, Rugani spent on loan at Empoli from Juventus. Maurizio Sarri coached him, and he, was, he didn't really put a foot, wrong foot forward. I think, I don't even think he had a yellow card the entire season. He had really one of the best the seasons I've seen from a defender in a long time in the Syria in the Italian top flight. So those are just several ops, several instances of where Maurizio Tsari's uh, tutelage, his experience, and his ability to get the most from certain players has paid off. Obviously, I think we can see the same thing with uh, Ampadu. Again, provided he gets the opportunity, Chelsea do have a lot of talent, a lot of young talent that. I know many people want to start to see more of. I mean, you can look at Ruben Loftus-Cheek. You can look at, again, Ampadu. You can look at um, Hudson Kalem Adoy. I think that's his name, if I'm correct. Um, so they do have options. And I think that's what's one of the biggest things that Chelsea fans want to see from Maurizio Sarri. Yes, obviously, they want him to win uh, and be successful and all that stuff. But they also want to see how he can implement these younger players and really make them from promise, make them into first teamers from promising young talents who are really kind of just being loaned out every summer. I mean, I don't know how many names that Chelsea have on loan. It feels like every year it's 40, 50 names, and we know they have a ton of talent. I mentioned another one, Matt Miazga, central defender, guy that, again, he is getting those reps elsewhere. But I think if you look at it, you're hoping, from a Chelsea fan's perspective, you're hoping that Sarri can do this same thing that he did with Napoli at, at Chelsea and usher in the next wave of talent. We see what some of these other other clubs rivaling them have. Phil Foden's another one for Manchester City. You have Liverpool, have uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. You have Manchester United with Rashford, with Lingard. Chelsea want to have that same success, and what that'll do is that it'll deepen the squad, it'll prolong the success that they hope to have versus having those those cyclical phases where every three years when you lose a big-time player and you really don't have that next wave of talent coming in to support and build around those big star players that you buy, then all of a sudden that's where you really run into some trouble. So I think I think Chelsea fans should be optimistic, again, uh, with a lot of this, these younger players. Again, obviously we're on the topic of Ampadu, uh, provided he gets the opportunity. Again, maybe we see more of Ampadu in um, cup play, the Europa League. And I think, again, at 17, that's really all fans are looking to, looking for. I don't think they expect him to play a big role in a big in a big match against like a Manchester United or a City or things like that. Which again, he you know if he does prove himself in the opportunity that he gets, maybe he does find that opportunity on the bigger stages against the top five, top six clubs. But I think at this point in time, again, we look for minutes and we look for rep reps that, that for youngsters to kind of benefit from and to continue to grow and I think again with international football um, Ampadu is going to be leaving his mark and if he's able to get those that same opportunity under Sarri I think that obviously that bodes well for his his growth and his development because at this point in time having that consistent environment that consistent workload to uh, grow from and to uh, leverage is only going to benefit him in the long run. Definitely I think Ethan Ampadu is Certainly a rising star and one to keep your eye on. One will probably profile in the future, Matt. But uh, I'm going to move on. This is the uh, story of the episode for me. The Santi Cazorla article, if you have not read it by Sid Lowe, The Guardian, 
it's an incredible article. Honestly, one of the best I've read this year. Uh, the, the headline starts with Santi Cazorla, uh, and then it's a quote from him. Every time they sewed me up, it split again, more liquid, which is obviously in reference to the uh, incredibly horrible tendon ankle infection he had, which was absolutely awful. People thought his leg might have had to be amputated. I'm just going to read the intro, uh, intro to the article. I'm a jigsaw puzzle. Santi Cazorla says there is a bit of his left forearm on his right ankle, a piece of thigh in its place and the back of a leg in one heel. There is also a grin on his face somehow. There is a metal plate in a foot and a new Achilles made from rolled up hamstring occupying the space where the rot set in. He points to the body parts that are where they are not supposed to be. A player for whom patched up applies literally. A tale told by a tattoo. It says IND on an arm and IA on an ankle. His daughter's name cut in half and grafted on artery and all where there was once a hole, a window into the horror below. It's insane story. The guy did not play for, uh, I'm trying to find that 636 game uh, days, I think. Literally didn't play football for that long. Uh, doctors told him that he'd be lucky to just kick a ball around with his with his son in, in his back garden. But he's so determined to play, wasn't he, Matt? And and he started every game this season with Villarreal. Yeah, again, these are obviously those stories that regardless of where your allegiance lies, you always it's a feel-good story. It's something that every football fan could be happy about and kind of rally around. Because, again, we all know Santi Cazorla, you know, obviously played a Chelsea player. Uh, I mean, excuse me, not Chelsea, Arsenal player. I know that's, uh, you know, that's your club, uh, Petra. But, you know, this, and he's an, a guy that's a, a, a professional, a class act. And that's what makes it more heart, uh, the, you know, the heartbreaking to have seen is a guy that, you know, puts so much dedication and so much, um, you know, effort into, you know, honing in on his craft for him to be possibly taken out of the game that he loves so much and holds dearly to his heart. It was very frustrating. It was something again. I, I, everyone knows me as more the Serie A guy and, and Italian football guy. But these are the stories that I love, kind of learning more about, and these are why I like to expand because there's always some great stories. There's always some great things happening in other leagues. And when I was monitoring this from afar, and I, every t- it seemed like every time I saw uh, with Cazorla that he was uh, set back, or you know he was you know he was ready to come back, and then something else happened. And when I was able to see him, you know, suit up for Villarreal again. Uh, for the you know get it back on the not just get back on the field you know again we we, we all look at oh you know uh, that they get paid so much the money all the ben the, the riches of being a professional footballer but we tend to overlook the story of of the player and for a guy like him again you know they got kids they got you know, they got other other interests in life and if you again when you're talking about a, a, a major uh, surgery that can ultimately result in the loss of a, of a leg. Um, you know that's big. That's that's big stuff here. You put it in perspective. If you know, for any 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 of our listeners, you know, having to undergo that, it's it's not so much okay. Well, I'm not gonna be able to play anymore. I mean, you kind of it has a big effect on your life outside of football. So then, this was a story that I was really interested in. And again, of course, Guardian does a great job of of giving us those hard hitting, feel good stories and those, those kind of peeling back layers and really diving into um, the biggest. Um, you know storytelling uh you know writers that we have in the game but yeah this this was a great this was a great story and and one again i you know petrit would uh would agree with me is a must read regardless of where you uh you watch your football or what kind of even if you're not even a football fan this is a feel-good story i mean just read it it's it's fantastic and it's it's moving and it's inspirational and uh it, it gives you it gives people a reason to um, you know, maybe kind of, you know, tune into a Villarreal game, see how he plays and, you know, maybe uh, get, you know, kind of read in more into a footballer outside of, of, of the game and, and to see what type of impact uh, this game has on their life. Props to Sid Lowe. It's, it's an incredible article and you know an article's good when individuals are tweeting it and each tweet of the article is getting like thousands of retweets. I think I saw Vincent Company retweet uh, it, which is insane. Uh, another quote from the article, they said to me, don't worry about playing football, concentrate on regaining a normal life, being able to play with your son or go for a stroll. It makes you appreciate life in general and being able to play sport, <laughs> everything, yeah. And the little, and the little things, yeah, just again, even if, even if he never played a football, a professional football match again, 
the fact that he was still he didn't he was able to he's able to kick the football around, which is th- something he loves so much, and he's able to do it with his his kids. I, I think that's such a beautiful beautiful thing to hear, and the, let alone the fact that he's able to get back on the football pitch, we're able to see him play professionally um, in a big league with La Liga. Of course, it's a feel good story, and again, it's it's one of those things that I love. That, that's why I love this sport so much. Is again among the excitement of of what you see on the field is the stories of each footballer. And I think sometimes people get lost. Um, they think everyone gets caught up in the trophies and the transfer fees and all that stuff, and that's fine. But I think, again, a lot of these, with every footballer, there comes possibly an even greater story. And I think that's what's so fascinating about this Santi Cazorla um, write-up by Sid Lowe. Again, uh, shout-out to him for that. That was fantastic. And, again, we can actually tweet that out, too, if you guys haven't seen it, although I'd be surprised if you haven't. But, um, yeah, we'll definitely share that so you guys can get a look at that. And you guys uh, give us your feedback as well because I think it's something that is uh, very touching. Mm, certainly so a former Arsenal player he uh, he also said the people love me there and I always have a connection with Arsenal so much affection not being able to say goodbye playing at the Emirates is like a thorn in my side if I had if I had to leave I wanted to do it in front of the fans which was a massive shame because at his peak or peak of his powers at Arsenal he was a wonderful wonderful player and uh, a bit more about it a bit more context there was actually bacteria that was eating at his tendon and uh, I don't know how many operations he had I think it's seven eight or something ridiculous like that it's it's nuts the 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 way the guy has recovered both physically and mentally is uh you know an inspiration for everyone but moving on then a bit of a weird story here matt but (laughs) sorry bordeaux forgot to register a player for their europa league squad so it's one of their recent signings uh midfielder toma basic will not turn out for his new club in this season's europa league group stage after they forgot to include the young croatian in their squad list this sounds like a football manager error yeah right that sounds like it sounds like something in fifa where you're uh you forgot to make a substitution and you already press start. And if you do quit, you like you automatically lose the game 3-0. <laughs> um, that's crazy. I, I, to think that something as simple as, you know, just submitting your final roster for a competition when you have ample time to do that and you're like, oh, we forgot someone. Like, I, I don't know how that happens. Uh, maybe maybe that's, um, I mean, not, not saying that Bordeaux were uh, the direct, directly at fault for that whole uh, Malcolm to Bar- Roma, then Barcelona case. But um, maybe that's a little bit of a karma, <laughs> karma situation here, where <laughs> maybe they they uh, they're getting a little bit of that back here because they forget to register a player for a Europa League uh, competition. So that's uh, that's a strange one, and I think it's you know if you kind of you know expand outside your comfort zone in football, you could probably find more funny stories like this. Obviously, everyone every you know there's there's certain individual football footballers who have funny stories that you probably never even heard of, but to see a team like Bordeaux. Um, do just forget to do something as simple as register a new signing, which you think would be pretty simple. But now that, I guess we're not going to see that player. <laughs> no, not in the group stage. And if they make it out, then hopefully they don't forget to add him in January. But obviously Gus Poyet uh, resigned at the beginning of the season, which was pretty bad. And they tried to get Thierry Henry to become manager, uh, but they recently appointed Brazilian Ricardo Gomez. So a bit of instability at Bordeaux and maybe this one's just kind of slipped under their uh, under their watching eye an administrative error apparently which is really embarrassing imagine if you flied out somewhere to like Russia in an away game and got there couldn't play <laughs> he uh, flies out and he's gutting. like he puts his jersey on he's like alright guys I'm ready to go it's like uh about that, <laughs> we actually forgot to put you on the list. <laughs> this is this is going to be awkward, Toma. But um, <laughs> I don't yeah. know how to break this to you. But <laughs> we, uh, so come, we come come into my office, sit down. Um, What's going on, we, Coach? Uh, uh, we, we I don't want to put this, but we forgot to put you on our Europa League uh, list, uh. so you can't play. <laughs> Oh, God, that is terrible. But, um, yeah, after the lows of the Santi Cazorla story, the, the highs of that funny one. But I honestly feel bad for Toma Basic. But it's on to our player profile, I think. Right, and for this episode's player profile, I'm actually joined by Simon Edwards. And we're going to be discussing, I'm going to try and say his whole name here, Juan Camilo Cucho Hernandez Suarez, the Watford-owned Colombian playing in Huesca or for Huesca in, in La Liga. So, Simon, you, you like this guy a lot. I remember you once telling me that you think he could actually become one of the best 
strikers in the world. He's only 19. So why don't you give us a, a bit more information about him? Yeah, so he's known as, known as uh, Cucho, uh, which kind of means in, in Colombia, kind of means old man, uh, which is interesting because <laughs> he looks about 12 years old. Um, so he's a, he's a baby-faced old man. It's basically because as a youngster, his parents used to uh, shave his head or, or cut his hair very short. And he kind of had a look of a grumpy old man when he was playing football. And uh, also that's a nickname given to uh, Cambiasso as well. So that's where the Cucho comes from. Um, he's very, very interesting. I mean, he made his debut when he was 15 years old. Um, by the time he was 16, he was captain of Pereira in Colombia, um, which is second division, but the biggest second division team. They play at a big stadium, have a decent fan base, uh, one club's uh, city. So kind of a high-pressure situation. He was captain. He was playing behind the striker, attacking midfield initially for Pereira. And he was top goal scorer in his first full season in, in the Colombian second division. Uh, Pereira finished top of the league, but Colombia's a playoff system, so they ended up not getting promoted. But he was just incredible, you know, carrying the team as a as a leader. He has a real strong personality. Uh, and he was scoring a lot of goals as an attacking midfielder. Um, since moving to Europe, he's really developed as well. And now he's a proper out-and-out uh, number nine striker and he's doing big things already in La Liga. Well, he's he certainly had an interesting career for someone so young. So he was at Deportivo Pereira and then he found himself over in Spain and then and then Watford back to Spain. So why don't you talk us through his, his journey a bit more? Yeah, so he was at Pereira and he was signed by the, the Watford group. Uh, it was not quite clear exactly where he was signed to or where he was going <laughs> um, as is modern football um, but they loaned him back because at the time he was still 17 years old so they loaned him back to America de Cali which is one of the biggest teams in Colombia uh, they just got promoted he didn't play every game but whenever he came on you could see his personality was there and when they were in the the championship playoffs he was the best player in a in a derby a Cali derby which is a huge intense situation against the big local rivals and he was the guy grabbing his teammates, going off to take the corners, lifting everyone, where everyone around him, more experienced players were looking a little bit a bit sheepish in a, in a real intense uh, situation. So he moved to Europe. Um, he His first loan was to Huesca, which is a, a Spanish second division side, a side which had been doing quite well. Um, they kind of had one of the more experienced squads in the second division in Spain. So they were kind of solid, but uh, you know a long way off promotion. And he was... He was the main man for them last season, scored a lot of goals. He's now got 16 for West. He's got 16 in 31. He also averaged about one in two for Pereira as a 16, 17-year-old. So he's played around 110 games and he's got close to you know one goal every two games, which is incredible for a 19-year-old. Uh, full Colombia U20 international. Uh, was a surprise omission really for Colombia in this week's friendlies, but he's on the radar for the Colombian national team and just a really, really exciting player. And he's extended his loan with, with Wesker, obviously, and I'm, I'm, I'm presuming that's because of work permit issues. I'm, I'm sure Watford would have loved to maybe have him in their squad this season. So how's he started this season in the Liga? It was a big question as to what he would do um, at the end of last season. Um, finished the the second division as, as champions with Wesker, got, got them promoted. Had a really good um, season. He also scored two goals against Barcelona B, uh, including a really, really good free kick. And there were lots of questions, lots of La Liga sides interested. Barcelona were actually interested in as well. But they decided to keep him at Huesca for the for this season. If Huesca hadn't been promoted, he would definitely have moved somewhere else. The In terms of the visa, playing in the second division means that the, the points accrued towards getting the work permit are, are less, are less. So there's more waiting to games played in the top division as opposed to the second division. So the thinking is a full season in La Liga plus perhaps one or two Colombia caps means that next season he'll probably have to play wherever he wants. Um, and I think the question would be, can Watford keep him? I mean, Watford would be a great move, but he's really that interesting and he's been so impressive in Spain. In terms of the opening games, he's really all action. When he left Colombia, he was... A very, very skillful player who was quite quick, who was quite strong and had really good technique and a lot of maturity. But since moving to Europe, he's become far more powerful, not in terms of necessarily his size, but his explosivity. You can see when the ball goes out wide, um, he always driving to the near post, always wants the ball. He passes it, he goes on and gets onto it again. It's kind of a, 
a Sergio Aguero sharpness to his game now, which is a real change because he was a, a winger, attacking midfielder who was kind of at the heart of everything without being that potent. Now he's a proper predatory number nine in the box as well, which is important to see because you can clearly see what he provides. Before he was a really, really interesting young player. Now he's a young player who can fit a certain profile as a, as a proper number nine. And hypothetically, if he did accrue enough uh, points for him to, to come over to the UK and, and actually play for Watford, if Watford could keep him or the Watford group, as you called them, uh, would he be able to play in the Premier League? Would, would his style fit in the Premier League for a, for a team like Watford, who they've started the season well, but that they might uh, probably you know come in the top half of the table that would probably be seen as an excess would he be able to to play alongside the likes of Troy Deeney it would be quite funny wouldn't it yeah well I think he might um be uh you know Watford have started this season with two men up front quite a lot and I think him playing alongside Troy Deeney dropping deeper to get the ball looking for those knockdowns looking for those one twos um he's not a tall player I think five foot nine but he wins headers he attacks the ball so well he's popped up with three or four headers last season so he's yeah, very much. You know, I, I mentioned Aguero, maybe Tevez, someone who is very, very proactive, very hungry, very always moving, always sharp, and just really backs himself. I think that's one of the key things for Hernandez. Um, he kind of comes across as kind of a quiet, unassuming, happy-go-lucky kid, but as soon as he's on the pitch, he's like an animal. He's he's always <laughs> driving. He's always going here and there, picking the ball up. So yeah, I think he has. He's going to definitely be an exciting player for wherever he ends up. You know, obviously he's got a big, big season in La Liga, but scored against Barcelona already, had a couple of goals disallowed in the, the game before. He's all action, all action. And and Wesco are going to struggle to get many points this year. They're a very small side, but so far so good. And he's been a big, big part of their their competitiveness up until the second half of last game when they lost 8-2. So we'll see we'll see how <laughs> things go. But uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. He's the reason I watch the league at the moment because he's a, he's a joy to watch. Well, that that's quite something, isn't it? And I think you compared him to Sergio Aguero earlier. Is that the player that you'd compare him to or is there someone else that you'd liken him to? As a 16, 17-year-old, when he was tearing up the second division as a, as a kid, he again. He was playing a little deeper, and it wasn't quite clear exactly what he was going to become as a, as a, as he developed as a player. But yeah, that that playing the ball wide, that driving forward. You know, at times he'll he'll take an extra shot when it, he shouldn't do. At times he'll take a couple of risks or he'll drive with the ball when maybe the pass is on. But that hunger, that that un, you know, that single-minded vision, directs towards goal. Is something that's really come into his game as he's picked up his, he scored these goals and has become a proper number nine. So yeah, I think Aguero is probably the the man who I can see in Cucho Hernandez. And and I mean, if he does if he does as well as Aguero, then then we'll definitely be talking about a proper player. <laughs> Certainly, so Sergio Aguero, a man who has I think a zero point seven goal to game ratio in the Premier League, which is higher than anyone in history, which is absolutely remarkable, higher than Thierry Henry, higher than Alan Shearer. But do you think uh, that's kind of Kucho's ceiling? Well, we'll have to see. Um, at every level he's played so far, he's been the best player. So for Pereira, as a fifteen-year-old, he was the best player. For America, the Cali, a big Colombian side, he was the best player. For Wesker, he's the most influential player. Uh, for Colombia U twenty, he was the standout performer. So you know we'll have to see. But so far, he's playing in La Liga, one of the top leagues in the world, and the initial indicators are positive. Um, I think he should be Colombia. He should be already in the picture to be Colombia's number nine. Um, he should be in the squad already. They've picked uh, another guy. From, uh, some fans over there will know uh, Morelos Buffalo from uh, from Rangers. For me, Kucho Hernandez is already better than Morelos, who's attracting some interest from some English clubs, doing very well at Rangers. But I think Kucho Hernandez is already more interesting than he is. So for me, I'd like to see him already getting a chance for the Colombia national team. And given that there's a good number of striking options. I think that really is reflective of the quality. And he's already a player very popular in Colombia. Uh, he's the man that Colombian fans are, are pinning a lot of hopes on for that future number nine, that future Falcao position. So I think there's, you know, no no clear ceiling at the point at the moment. But uh, you know, everything everything he's doing so far is just incredibly impressive. And like I say, 110 games for a guy who turned 19 in April 
he's achieved more than many footballers will do in their entire career when he's still a kid. So we'll have to see how things go. But everything, so much maturity, so much intelligence, so much hunger in everything he does. You know, I love him. I love him. <laughs> I was just about to say, you clearly love this guy, Simon. But where are the areas he might need to improve if, if you had to be critical of him? Yeah, I think some of the key strengths are also areas of concern. I mean, because he has that, he's developed that single-minded everything pointing to the goal sometimes you know he's he creates some assist by by drawing defenders but i think at times he maybe has to uh take a, a pause maybe um take you know be a bit more conservative in, in his decision making again you don't want to take too much out of his game it's, it's you know it's like complaining that aguero shoots too much you know yeah shoot you know you score a lot so that perhaps is something a, a, a good coach could maybe kind of sound of some of the edges um in terms of that obviously his hold up play isn't ideal but he can turn a man and he's quite powerful you know short but quite powerful so again he may be hold up play never going to be the best in the air but i think his movement is very good and he'll surprise some defenders popping up with a few headers here and there so all of the energy and the the hunger he has um could perhaps be slightly reined in for, for certain tactical approaches. But again, the, all these things that you can maybe criticise in terms of taking unnecessary shots or, or maybe, you know, not being as clinical as he could be at times. You know, he takes 10 shots and scores three goals, you know, fair enough, to be honest. <laughs> so those are kind of my concerns. He's very, very energetic. He's very hungry. Um, and maybe at times a call ahead might be might be called for. Oh, wow. So much information for you listeners and particularly you Watford fans and, and anyone who watches La Liga for you to go away and, and think about Kucha a bit more, maybe watch some, some more Huesca games. But Simon, thanks so much for being on the State of Play pod. Where can people find out more about you? So yeah, on Twitter at Simon Edwards SAF, uh, a lot of stuff about Colombian football. There's a thread as well at the top of my, uh, my Twitter with some interesting Colombian youth players so maybe uh, some players for the notebook to keep an eye on as they uh, as they develop in their careers but there's a lot of youngsters there that may be on their way to Europe and maybe worth considering in the future and thank you so much Simon uh, Matt do you know much about Kucha Hernandez I do know uh, again you know it's uh, no one no one on the state of play podcast I mean myself and I know Petra included we claim to know. We don't claim to know about every young footballer. Again, there's some great sources out there for younger footballers under 23 um, that you guys can look at. Again, Scouted Football. I'll give them a quick little shout out here. They do a tremendous job of of really covering every under 23 footballer there is, whether it's in Premier League, whether it's in La Liga, whether it's in MLS. They do a great job of covering it. So there's a good chance that you could get more from uh, from Scouted Football on Cujo Hernandez as well. But again. Shout out to Simon Edwards for coming on for this, uh, you know, this little player profile on Cucho. Uh, great to have him on again. We love bringing on guests to cover the players that maybe you guys don't know much about, and we think you should. So, um, yeah, definitely, uh, this is one of those episodes where I think again you can revisit it consistently, especially again as a guy um, like Cucho Hernandez gets that opportunity abroad. Uh, maybe he comes back to uh, Watford, stars in the Premier League if they are able to keep up and stay in the in the top division of English football. Or maybe, again, he moves on elsewhere. You guys could always revert back to this episode and uh, get a little bit more knowledge, a little bit more background of what type of player he is because uh, it's easy for us uh, to talk about, you know, maybe the known, you know, top young guys or whatever. And we touched upon uh, Ampadu earlier on. But to bring in some different different names that you guys maybe not be familiar with at this point in time, but we think you should uh, you'll get to know. Um, it's it's great and it's something that I know I'm very happy to be doing on this podcast. I know Petra would, uh, would agree with me there as well. I certainly do, and, and Kucha Hernandez is a very, very, very exciting forward. I mean, I know Simon Edwards, um, obviously just talked to him about him very fondly for so long, but he's told me before that he thinks this guy could become like one of the best number nines in the, in the world, let alone uh, Europe or let alone in, uh, as a South American player. Two straight, two straight episodes with number nines uh, as our player profile. We had Giovanni Simeone, who uh, we covered in our previous episode, who actually scored on his Argentina debut. Yeah. Um, and now, of course, we got Cucho Hernandez, another number nine, um, in the in the following episode. So there's this trend that's going on here. And then we had Moise Kane in one. So we're a lot of number nines yeah. here. Uh, we had a goalkeeper. Um, Three number nines, a goalkeeper. Yeah, right. Ooh. You know, I think everyone loves goals, obviously. But we're, we're bringing different. <laughs> we're bringing unique uh, perspectives and unique names to the uh, state of play pod. So again, if you guys have other names, other players that you want us to cover, 
leave us leave us your recommendations on Twitter. We'll be more than happy to uh, you know, put them in our master list. And then when we kind of get to recording, we'll uh, make sure we uh, keep that in mind. Yeah, definitely throw us a follow at State of Play Pod POD on Twitter. And just throw us some abuse if you hate us. And we'll, we'll try and make the, the podcast better if you really dislike it. Uh, if you want to email us, State of Play Pod pod at gmail.com for like collaboration and sponsorship inquiries and, and all that good stuff and you can find me at pet barisha on twitter p-e-t-b-e-r-i-s-h-a difficult name to spell hopefully you get it right <laughs> matt where can people find out more about you uh my twitter handle is at matt underscore santangelo make sure you guys are following me there and um i'll do the rest i'll make sure i inform you guys of whatever i'm working on any podcast appearances aside from the state of play pod of course any articles I have in the pipeline, and um, maybe some, there's some exciting things coming down the road. I don't, I'm not going to talk about it too much, but um, you know, I'll, uh, I always throw a little bit of teasers in there aside from my gifts and uh, normal banter. So if you guys are looking for any of that at all, Twitter's a place to find me again at Matt underscore Santangelo. Nice. I thought you were going to finish on Yep there, so uh, glad you gave us a bit more information. But <laughs> not this time. De- definitely subscribe uh, and throw us a review, please. We we love hearing your feedback, yes. as I just said. Absolutely. Uh, DM me, DM Matt, DM the State of Play Pod. As yeah, I said, DMs you- are open, guys. I mean, just slide into the DMs. I've, there's no shame. You guys feel comfortable. Ask me questions. Feel free, man. I'm, I'm, I'm all up for it. Even if you want to abuse us a little bit about the, the quality yeah, of, of the course. podcast. The like... good, the bad, the ugly. We want to hear it because that's only going to help us improve. Yeah. And uh, yeah, keep throwing us some players to, to profile. And uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And if you're on your commute, enjoy your commute. And if you're not commuting, uh, shout out to 